Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be back here. Uh, it's a whole new experience to do this with a daughter um, in tow, and so it's, it's quite the experience, and I'm, I'm humbled, and, and I get to worship with you all by uh, preaching the Word and teaching, and, and I just want to thank you for that opportunity as a, as a community. Um, before I get started, I, I want to talk to you about what Stan alluded to, which is what God is up to in St. Louis with us. Um, if those of you that don't know uh, Grace and I, we attended um, Lion and Lamb Church for several years. In fact, uh, we started uh, through God's good grace and the leadership of Lion and Lamb, a Mosaic Youth Ministry, in which I was the director for two years. And so a lot of you here know us and you know our hearts. And if you know anything about us, and especially myself, it's that I love ministry. And ministry is, is what I want to do. It's it's in my bones. It's what God has called me to do. And, and so when we moved to St. Louis to Covenant Seminary, suddenly you become this small fish, this tiny guppy in a large lake of capable and talented pastors-to-be. And um, we were looking for a, a place to serve, a church to serve, a ministry to serve at, but we kept finding over and over again there were guys, you know, with with masters in theology from Princeton or whatever, and, and just God, for whatever reason, the doors just weren't opening up. And um, this continued for, for a while, and we landed at a church that we both felt completely called to, and it's a church of about 200 in Webster Grove, which is a suburb of St. Louis, located just down the street from Webster University. And um, talking with the associate pastor of how we can serve, he said, oh, Steve, I really need somebody to start a college ministry at Old Orchard Church at Webster University. And I was just shocked because I'd been praying that that, that would be what God opened the opportunity to do. And, and here he's saying, we, we don't have anything. We've tried something, but most guys stay for a year and then graduate and leave. And we would love for you and your wife to, to lead um, and develop a, a college ministry, sort of like what has happened here at Mosaic at Lion Lamb Church. And um, with that, I, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, now, that being said, you need to know something about Webster University. It's, it's a university of about 5,000 students. Um, they have a large fine arts program. In fact, Mike and Kathy's nephew majored in film there and is actually doing film production out in L.A. Um, so they have a huge fine arts program. Another thing that's, that's really interesting is, is that this is according to a statistic by somebody from Campus Crusade that a third of the students there are practicing what's known as an alternative lifestyle. Um, we don't know, you know, we don't know if what what are the causes of that, but but basically, um, you know, why why the statistics so high? Um, I don't know, but um, that is that is a statistic that he told me, and when I was just investigating college ministry there, and. Um, I talked to a couple students at Webster University who are Christians, and I said, what is it, you know, what is kind of the religious landscape at Webster University? And they said, anything but Christianity, anything but Christianity is kind of the approach for most students there. Um, to give you a better understanding of Webster University, they have one evangelical campus ministry, that's um, Campus Crusade. And they have on regular attendance between five and ten students from Webster University of 5,000 attending their meetings. Um, the gospel is, is, is needed there at the university. And so when I started to, to con- kind of compile all these, these 
these stats and factors about the, the college, I, you know, I knew that this is exactly where God is having us. And, and so we, we plan to develop a, a college ministry at Old Orchard Church, which is only a few blocks away, um, in which we want to reach out and, 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 and kind of expose the gospel at Webster University. Grace and I are going to be there for a few years, and so it's, it's a great opportunity for us. And we want to do that um, for, from several ways. First is uh, by just having um, a presence, by being at Webster University with students attending campus crusade meetings, um, also by hopefully, Lord willing, developing a Bible study or small group um, if, we, if we can, and, and if God allows that to happen, we'd love to start an alpha program that I know some of you have experienced here. It had a tremendous impact on me in college. Um, it's just a, a course that kind of exposes Christianity in a very kind of postmodern, discussion-oriented way, which um, has led a lot of people, especially in Great Britain, to Christ. Um, but then also, um, the big one is starting an inner-city inner, inner tutoring program with an organization called K-Life, who's uh, a ministry based in central St. Louis who um, provides mentorship and tutoring to um, students in the, in the urban areas of St. Louis high schools and middle schools. Um, people at Webster University, students at Webster University, jump on the ideas of anything that smacks of social justice. Um, it's really hot right now. And so <clears throat> the opportunity to kind of link up with a urban ministry program under the guise of, of, of providing tutoring to inner-city students has, been, uh, has major appeal to a lot of students at Webster um, University. And so those are some of the things that we kind of have. I'm brand new to this, just like, I mean, kind of like how I was with Mosaic about starting something. But um, So I, I, don't, I don't have like a, a really fancy plan or anything like that. We just know that God is, is, is calling us there to bring the gospel to them um, through our church, and, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want how we want to serve. And in order to do that, um, you know, I have several part-time jobs um, in St. Louis, and what we're asking is first and foremost, Kevin, is there a way I can, do I need to move somewhere so the ringing, with the ringing? I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if anybody else heard it. Okay, I can, I can just hear it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> is one of the things that we would ask for is that you would uh, pray for us. I mean, we are going into a harsh climate, and, um, you know, I'm kind of a half- the glass is completely full, even though it's, you know, two-thirds empty kind of guy. So I go into it kind of completely optimistic. So I'd ask that you as a family would pray for us, that God would open up tons of doors for us in, in sharing the gospel and bringing people to Christ, to uh, bringing, in, bringing them to relationships with Christ, but also that we need financial support. Um, I can't juggle uh, family and, and studies and work and ministry all at the same time. One has to go. And if the Lord opens the door for us, we would love it to be that we would be sustained financially for, um, for the long term and, and while we're there in St. Louis. So what I would ask is that you would consider uh, giving to us, and this would be something, and we want to make sure we're very clear, not something that takes away from what you're already giving here, but something that if the Lord would lead you to giving to us above and beyond that. Um, so, so financially, so that we can, as a family, uh, Grace is now a stay-at-home mom, which is awesome, and um, me as a full-time student, just basically be able to, to make ends meet as, as, a, um, as a family. It, we, we're not asking for a lot in compared to what I think most college ministries ask for. We, we just need around $3,000 a month. That takes care of 
the overhead costs. We're, we're part of an organization called globalservice.net. It, co- it covers the, the, the overhead fees there, as well as us having to pay you know, our own taxes and whatnot, and kind of meeting, getting us down to the budget that we're on right now. So um, that being said, uh, just, just know that there's no um, amount that's either too small or, of course, too great. Um, we have you know, supporters that support us at $20 a month right now, and we have people that support us at a few hundred dollars a month right now, and, and we are blessed in any way possible in that. And I, I apologize, I didn't bring the letter um, that we had. Uh, I will do that next week, but if you'd like to, visit our website. Uh, you can go to www.globalservice.net.org, and then it's forward slash giving, and then forward slash green, and that's an E on the end of our last name, Green. Um, and you can find out more, read in more information. And just too, we're going to be here for a couple weeks. We would love to talk to you about uh, this opportunity. And we would just actually just love to talk to you on a personal level because that's our family. We're very relational. We like to, to hang out and, and talk and, and spend time together. Um, so that being said, uh, um, I apologize also for not having a handout as we get into the sermon. I, I will have one for you next week. Um, but if you would, uh, with all that being said, please turn um, in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 4.1.8. And, um, you know, if you would have told me, well, if, if I was a, a high school student now, well, not now, but 10 years ago, and there would have been a sermon on Deuteronomy, I would have I shrieked. And, and, and part of that is because my understanding about the Old Testament has, has transformed radically in, in, in the last few years, but it's it's kind of an often overlooked book, in, in the, especially in the Old Testament, but it is something that is packed with so much content. And, and I want to I take some time. I want us to get, today I want us to start thinking about mission. What is God's mission in our lives? What is it that he wants us to do? And I think Deuteronomy 1, uh, 4, 1 through 8, kind of gives us a window of what it means to live missionally as Christians. That's kind of a hot word right now, missional living. But before I even do that, I, w- I, w- I want to say this, just a good practice for us when we, when we learn how to study our Bibles and when we, we, we you know, read our, our daily devotions. Um, I often kind of glaze over this, uh, this idea or this fact, but something that's just really important to do is to ask yourself when you're opening up to a book is certain questions like, who wrote this book in the Bible? Who wrote it? And, and why did they write it? And what were the circumstances in which they were writing this book and what were they trying to address? See, when we start to ask those questions and we start to think thoughtfully about them and answer them, um, it starts to allow us to read and interpret and make conclusions uh, more clearly that reflect the biblical message. So when you, when you are reading your devotions or doing family devotions, just, just take a moment and stop and ask yourself that question. Who is this being written to? If you have a study Bible, a lot of times those answers are met at the very beginning of the book in, in kind of the chapter introduction or the book introductions. Um, but just doing that is, is, is helpful. For, for, exence, or for example, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, is, is part of the Pentateuch or the Torah, um, as it's called. It's the first five books of the Bible, or one of the first five books of the Bible. Um, and in Deuteronomy specifically is a book of exhortations and curses and blesses, blessings to the Israelites written by Moses to the Israelites and specifically the second generation Israelites 
probably, maybe, at Mount Sinai. They don't know for sure. What, you know, where, where exactly and, and when exactly. They just know Moses wrote it, and it's to the second generation community. And that Deuteronomy is being written for the specific purpose of exhorting them to obey the law. And in it, kind of, you, you find over and over again, God saying, remember what I did for you. Remember what I did for you. Therefore, remain faithful to the covenant that I've made with you. You find that over and over again. <clears throat> and with that, um, as we think about that and, and, and we think about the, the context of what this is written, let me, let me go ahead and pray um, for us before we get completely started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just, um, I thank you for this, this day. I thank you for this moment just being able to be up in front and, um, and to worship as I, as, we, as I teach and as, as you speak to us, Father. Um, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, we want to take seriously your words. We want to take seriously what you tell us to do because we have a relationship with you, because we are in relation with you as your children, and we should take your words seriously. So, Father, would you just knock down any resistance that we may have to your word today? Lord, help us to love each other and love each other well as a community. And Father, we'd ask that you would open up our, our minds and again our hearts so that we might see Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the resurrection. And that's what we place our hope in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, right around the, the turn of the millennium, uh, mission statements or, yeah, mission statements were a big deal. I, maybe they were just a big deal with, with the college that I was at, but everybody wanted to be defined, if you're a business or organization, by a mission statement. Churches were like going crazy for, you know, the, the kind of the, the hot really compact, clever mission statement. Organizations, uh, parachurch organizations were really trying to define themselves in their mission statements. Um, and, and businesses were doing the same thing. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants, just to give you an example, is Chick-fil-A. Uh, I've been known to wait outside for free Chick-fil-A for a year a couple times in St. Louis, even in like negative four degree heat or qu- cold. Um, but I love Chick-fil-A. Uh, and, and so I, felt, I, I love their mission statement. It's this, it's to be America's best quick service restaurant. Um, a mission statement, what it's trying to do is basically trying to summarize the values, goals, and vision of the organization in kind of a one or two sentence line. So like Google, uh, one of the biggest um, search engines and companies, uh, electronic companies in the world, has the mission statement, which is to make the world's inter- information universally accessible and useful. Now, some of you might know this, but Lion the Lamb actually has a mission statement. Um, if you go onto the website, I don't know if it's posted on the bulletin or not, but if you go onto the website and uh, you look, click about and, you know, you can pull down to the mission statement, it's there and you can take a look at it. And if you did, it would say this. It says, Lion and Lamb is a fellowship of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all his commandments. Now, switching gears a bit, when we, when, we, when we read our Bibles, when we start thinking about God, creator of, of all known things, all things known and unknown, you know, have we ever wondered, and, and this is what kind of, have, have I ever thought about what would be God's mission statement? 
I mean, just think about that for a second. Just knowing what's in the Bible, knowing what we know about God, what might be his mission statement for his purpose? I, I didn't have a lot of time to get too fancy with it, but I think what we see, and I, I want to make the case today that, that God's mission statement is this, is a desire to make himself known until the very ends of the earth so that the whole world is filled with his knowledge and glory. And I think we see that very on in Genesis the creation narratives in Genesis, especially chapter 1 and chapter 2, where, where, where God is saying to Adam and to uh, Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He, he's, they've been created in the image of God, and now these copies of the image of God are, are to go and, and to replicate likewise all throughout the end of the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with the knowledge of God. And then we see that at the very end of, of, of Revelation, that we see that the whole world, the whole, all of creation knows who God is, that the goodness and majesty of God has finally been revealed to the whole world. And, and, and in between the pages of both of those books is there's this deep desire for God to elect people and to elect his son, Jesus Christ, and the apostles in the church to make himself known and through all the earth. Now, Again, I, wanted to, I want to emphasize the fact that he is electing his children, his people to do that. He's not just passively making himself appear here and there, except for you know, certain individuals like a, like a Paul per se, but that we as the children of God, the people of God, have real work to do, that we have a real mission to do. And so this sermon is titled God's Mission, Our Mission, that God's desire to make himself known to the world ultimately becomes our desire. But here's the rub in that, is that while God has this mission to, to make himself known, a lot of people that are Christians resist that mission to serve. We, we don't share the gospel. We don't live lives that are faithful to God's word in our conduct. We struggle to take God's mission seriously. We, we, we marginalize ourselves. We say, I don't matter. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And I, and I think in Deuteronomy 4, with this, this temptation that, that Moses is giving them the law and saying, here is the stipulations of, of our relationship. Do them. Trust them and obey them. That there's this temptation for them to, to not take God's call for mission seriously. But I want to propose to you today that because God has made himself known to, the wor- to his people, we must make him known to the world. Now, um, because I'm preaching out of the Old Testament and not the New Testament, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to just exegete and, and kind of apply what's, what's relevant for us today, you know, because that was the Old Testament and this is the New Testament. And so what I wanted to try to develop is kind of three principles from the text that I see there. And, and here's the first, is that we must remain faithful to God's word. This is where I'm going, so if you, because I didn't give you a study sheet, if you want to write this, these three things down, this is kind of where I'll, I'll be and then hitting the, the, the application and, and whatnot from these. So first, we must remain faithful to his word. Second, we must be a faithful witness. And third, because I love community, we must be a faithful community. Well, let's start with the idea of being faithful to his word. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then after that, I'll just take a look at some of the some of the uh, highlights of that. It says, <clears throat> starting in, in, in verse uh, 1, chapter 4, and before that, if you, if you were to go through, uh, Moses is kind of recounting the history of, of, of 
Israel up to this point in, in, in the desert. And, and now he comes, after kind of recounting the, the history, he says this. He says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes, they have seen what I did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you, who held fast to the Lord your God, are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Well, looking at the idea of being faithful to his word, in that very first verse, Moses says that, that this book, these laws that I'm giving you, actually are, are, is a living document. And not only that, but, but the, the life and death, whether or not you decide to actually obey the words in these books, actually brings life and death to you as a people. <clears throat> And, and, and not only that, after saying that, he also goes on and says, do not add and do not take away from the words that I'm giving you. There would be this temptation to not only believe that God was, that this book, that this law was actually a book of life and a book of, le- of death, of blessings and cursings, which I'll develop next week in, in chapter six, but that, but that there would be a temptation to be complacent, to not obey everything that, that is in this law and to, and to water down some of the, the, the statements and the laws that are being made, um, especially uh, thinking about that in the, like the book of Leviticus or um, Numbers or, or even Exodus. So being wary, there was a sense of, of, of not holding true to the words that God had given them. In the New Testament, we see this to be true or this, this temptation um, happening in, in the Gospels itself in Matthew 5. Let me get up to speed on my notes. 5, 17 through 19. And if you want, you can turn there as well. Where, where Jesus is issuing the same warning of not adding to the word of God nor taking away from the word of God, of being faithful to his word. He says this after the Beatitudes, which I, I've been listening to some of the podcasts, and I know Kent's been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount for a while now. Is that right, Kent? And so I don't know if you've gotten to this yet or not. Um, but he says this in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then going on to uh, chapter 15, 1 through 6, it says this. 
Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would not have gained from me, from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now there's, there's two different things that are, that are kind of being in tension there. One is the temptation that Jesus is addressing to add to the word of God. And the other one is the temptation to take away from the word of God. And, and Jesus himself is warning, don't, don't go there. Don't go there, and, and, and he's issuing Moses the same warning, and some people say that same warning is at the very end of Revelation 22, when it's, when it's talking about not uh, making sure that nothing is added or taken away from this book or the scroll. So there's this high integrity of Scripture that's being presented throughout the Bible of, of not to add or to take away. And how does this apply to us today in this church and these seats? I believe is in two ways. First, be wary of watering down God's Word. And second, and this is kind of intentional, be, <coughs> excuse me, do not be a suitor of legalism. Now, now this is where I'm going with this, is, is, is this, is that at Covenant Seminary, we, we kind of have like an inside track to a lot of the debate, debates that are going on in the evangelical wor- world. And I, Mike, I think, has alluded to this a couple times. Right now, hell is a hot topic, uh, pun intended, and, and people are discussing that uh, quite a bit, the nature of hell, you know, universalism, is everybody saved at the end? And there's a, a, a man, a pastor, who wrote a book called Love Wins, in which he doesn't explicitly say those things, but he kind of, he does and he doesn't, he kind of implies it through his questions. It's kind of a, a weird, kind of postmodern way of, of writing a, a theological uh, work, but um, he affirms that, that in the end, God's love wins, that, that no, ultimately God could never send people to hell because his love will win. And then, the, and then the second issue, which I have a problem with, and just hear me out, I, I think that's wrong, that, that, that people, there is a hell, and that, that's what, what happens to people that do not obey God's word, and do not, or excuse me, not obey God's word, but do not enter in relationship with them. But also, the, 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 another debate that's going on is, you know, the role of women in ministry, of, of do uh, we elect or do we allow women to be pastors and elders and teachers in the church. And, um, and that's another hot debate. And just for you to know where I stand and where I stand with the leadership of the church is saying, no, that that's something that's to be, be held for men, that, that that's what we see in Scripture, that that role of elder is, um, is, is for men in, in Scripture. And so those are hot debated items. But what I'm trying to go to with all that jumping around and, and trying to, to dance on ice and whatnot and say the right thing is this, is that it's so popular right now to make the gospel palatable that people start, for whatever reasons, wanting to make the Bible sound more reasonable to a modern ear. And there's this real temptation to make the Bible say things that it's just not saying. And, and, and so when we read this warning that, that we must be faithful to his word, that we must be wary of watering down God's word, we need to take that serious. We, we, we may not have that struggle here at Lion and Lamb, but we do have the struggle when it comes to personal issues. When, when for me, I, I know that if I was in my own relationship and building up my own sanctification, that if I was... Um, if I just ignored all the hard passages that are there in the Bible, that I would be 
a, a pitiful spiritual man. And that the word of God is there to not only to call us up, but it's there to call us out. So in a personal sense, don't take away, don't water down God's word. Don't allow the sting of God's word, don't allow that sting to be numbed by our unwillingness to hear what God's word is saying. And another thought in, in that is, is, is this, is that we would be wary of becoming legalists, that, that that's a temptation as well. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to go there with the thorny issues of what it means to be free in Christ. Um, I just want to say, and I want to be very careful on how I say that, be careful when you read the Bible that you're letting God's word speak and not our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own sensibilities to speak as well. That there, that there is this warning to not add to the Word of God something that's not there. And so just something to think about as, we, as you're reading your Bibles as a family and as, as individuals, you know, a lot of times when I have that kind of knee-jerk reaction to something in Scripture or knee-jerk reaction to an issue in, in Christianity, I always ask myself, I always try at least to ask myself, is this, is this me being, is, is this God doing this knee-jerk? Or is this something in my own experience, in my own history, that is creating in this, this knee-jerk reaction? Am I essentially seeing the Bible strictly through my own lens, my own interpretations of, because of my own history? Or am I reading the Bible clearly in the way that God wants us to read the Word? Am I allowing scriptures to speak uh, by itself? But either way, I just I want to offer that warning because I think it's there. And we just want to be very careful about it. And, and, and a lot of times, these freedoms in Christ thing is such a hard issue. Um, you know, I'm sure if we, we talked in this room about what we think is allowable and what's not, you know, within reason, uh, we would just be amazed by the conversation we'd have. But I think that warning's there, and I think it warranted being said. But moving on, we see another uh, principle develop here, and it's this, that since God has made himself known to his people— uh, we must be a faithful witness. Moses, in, in verses 3 through 5, reminds the Israelites about what happened at Baal Peor. Now, what, what exactly happened? Well, if you, um, you can read later, if you, if you went to Numbers 25, that event's actually um, re, retold or, or captured. Um, but essentially, the men of Israel had given themselves up to marrying uh, pagans of, of marrying, uh, marrying worshipers of Baal. And so God in his anger and it, because of, their, his, uh, of the disloyalty of Israel or some of Israel's unfaithfulness, he actually pours out judgment that he actually kills those that were unfaithful to God's relationship, God's covenant that he had made with Israel. And so now Moses is saying in verses three through five, and let me go back to that. I'm sorry. <clears throat> You, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Bel Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Bel Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God and are all alive today. Now, what I want to, to go is, is the idea of being a faithful witness and how that applies to this situation. And what I think might be going on here is this, is that unfaithfulness to the covenant that God has made with Israel and and, 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 and honoring him, it's, it's kind of this thought of, of speaking out of both sides of the mouth, that our unfaithfulness, when we, when we marry and we enter into a covenant relationship with our husband or wife, we say that, that this is what I'm going to do, that I will 
that I will be with you in sickness and health, and that I will be sexually pure to you my whole life. And when we don't do those things, we're not honoring the covenant that we made with our spouses. We're, we're going against that. We're speaking out of both sides of our mouths. And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of what was going on here, or what had happened in Numbers 25 at Belpior, that they were speaking out of both sides of their mouth. They, they said, we, we are loyal to God, and it was kind of conditional, as long as you keep doing these things for us. But when the moment, when things had settled down, they, they go and they make themselves um, husbands and wives of a pagan religion. And so God acts out judgment in that. And so what do we glean from that now? And then it's this idea of being a faithful witness. I think our society, America especially, we, we can't stand hypocrites. I mean, just that word, hypocrite, that just ugh, makes me just angry just thinking about that. Even though, you know, Grace would say, you know, at times I'm a hypocrite. We just don't like it. And when we see, like, politicians that they, they say one thing, and we just saw this recently with a couple scandals with, with politicians, when they say they uphold this, this one thing, and then they do something else, we, we get angry, we get offended. We feel like you're not, you're not believing, you're not being what you said you are. And, and if, if, you've, if any of you have had conversations with, with Christians or non-Christians especially, one thing that just gets us is when people say that they are, um, that they are, that they are Christian and then you see the way they act and you say, this doesn't make sense with this, that they're not, their actions aren't affirming their mouths, that it, 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 there's a sense of, of confusion there, whether it's a family member or it's a coworker or um, a boss or or whatever. When we when we hear that that person is a Christian and then they act some, a certain way completely different than that, there's this this sense that we're turned off by that. And and so God in His goodness is calling us to be a faithful witness to to the Scriptures, to what God has done in our lives, to live a way that's faithful to the the, the, the Scriptures. Gandhi is, is famous for saying, and it's, you know, it kind of fits where I wanted to go with this, but it says, I like your Christ, but not your followers. Now, I, I say that and know this before, any, before I go any further, that there are people in this world that just want to see you fall. They just look for that opportunity for when that one day that you mess up, and they say, see, I told you. You're, that's, that's, you know, I don't want anything to do with Christianity because of how you acted or, or whatever. That, those are going to happen. Those people are out there. But I think what we just really need to, to talk about, and, and though it sounds simple, is that we need to be faithful to, or be a faithful witness to God's work in our lives, and that we need to be an example to those um, that don't know Christ. And, um, I, you know, I, I didn't think, I hope that I'm not stirring the pod by any means. I'm not trying to do that. Um, I'm just trying to think of ways in which uh, I can see this applied, but uh, one way when thinking about how we can be a faithful witness is generosity. What it means to be faithful to the generous generosity that God has bestowed upon us in our lives so that we are generous to others around us in our, in, in our experience, our friends, our family, our co-workers. And this is kind of a, uh, uh, I hope to get some amens from people that have worked in, in food service, but um, Christians are known for being lousy tippers. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but um, that's the truth. I've, I've worked in my fair share of restaurants and coffee shops as a server, and I've received, and not because of the service, but some of the worst tips from people that I know went to church, in fact, churches that I was attending. 
And, and that's a reputation, unfortunately, that we've gained. And that's just kind of an elephant in the room, but we are known for being horrible tippers. That when I worked at a coffee shop and a, and a campus ministry would come in, the people that were not Christians just hated that moment because they knew that that was, there's going to be 25 people in there and they might get a dollar. And, and that's just kind of, that's kind of a, an un, unstated, kind of joked about thing in, in, in food service is that we're, though we, we're, we proclaim that we're generous and that we should be generous, that when it comes to tipping, we're not generous. And so one, one way, and, and when I say that, the reason why is because it literally has turned off people to the gospel when they know that somebody who's a Christian um, doesn't, doesn't, isn't generous on that end, it, it really does turn them off. And so that's why I wanted to go there in a very practical sense. Now, it's different, you know, there's different applications for this for everybody's experience, but um, I know that when people uh, have been generous to them, and they are Christians, that, uh, that I know it sounds weird, but it's so true that they become so much more receptive to what you have to say. Um, one person, you know, told me about the experience that somebody just gave them a tract and a dollar tip on like a $20 ticket and, and that person didn't know Christ and even to this day they're completely turned off um, by Christianity, Christianity because of a lack of hostility and a lack of generosity shared by a Christian. And so how can we be a faithful witness? By being generous. Why? I'm just not giving you imperatives, just commands for the sake of harking down. It's because God himself is generous to us. You have been generously given an immense amount of spiritual blessings and an immense amount of physical blessings. And so generosity in our time and in our service and our finances goes a long way. And I'm, and I'm not, and I just now realize as I'm saying this, it's not because I was asking for support earlier. So don't want to get any switched ideas. I now realize that after saying that, I didn't even see that on the horizon. So <laughs> I realized how ironic that was. Um, so anyhow, moving on from that, be, be careful with the, what you say and how you act. This isn't a problem for some people here, but um, it is a problem for our younger generation. I read some of the nastiest things on blogs and message boards and Facebook and Twitter from friends of mine and people that I know to be Christians. And I can't think of a more destructive way of, of not being a faithful witness to, to in, a, in a matter of two or three sentences, say some, some horrible things and allow yourself to be skewed in maybe two or three sentences regarding an issue of, of, of politics or, or morality or, or whatever. That, that is such a temptation for us and our generation. We're, we're just kind of, we're a generation of sound bites, my, my generation. And so there's this temptation to just spout off what we think and how we feel in just a matter of moments for the whole world to see because we feel kind of anonymous behind a computer screen. But be very careful in how you use that technology. Be careful on what you say and how you act because people are watching. Because people know about you and they know about your story. And it's important to be a faithful witness to God. Again, I don't know how this works out for each individual one. You know, for certain people, it's different things. Um, but I, I just want to encourage you to be a faithful witness to God. Finally, this is the last point I want to know or want to make. It's this: it's that we must be a faithful community. Christians today tend to uh, look at the law kind of through the lens of, of Martin Luther, and so it, this is true. This is a true statement, but the, but it's this: that, that the law only shows us our, our sin; that it only shows us how we fall short of God's glory, and so that's why we need Christ, and and that's why we're we're saved through faith, which is completely true. But I would like to suggest that in this passage, what we're seeing here is a sense of graciousness behind God's law. Look with me at six through eight. I could spend a whole 
teaching time on this, these two verses, or three verses, but I love it. It says this, Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. And he's referring to the law and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all, this, the, when, hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Did you catch that? Did you catch the gracious nature that Moses is saying that the law is? See, think about this for a second. Think, if you can, on a map where Israel is along the Mediterranean Sea. You have Egypt to the west. You have the Persian empires to the east. You have the Mediterranean civilizations to the north. And so all of a sudden, Israel becomes this major crossroads of commerce and trade from Egypt to Persia to Mediterranean, and people coming back and forth and back and forth. And so what he's saying here is that people will come in to Israel and they will say, they will see how close their relationship with their God that they have as as he actually dwells in the tabernacle. And they'll see the law in practice and they'll say, my goodness, I want this. This God is amazing. This law is just. It it protects animals. It protects people. It it, it promotes personhood. It promotes promotes human flourishing. I want to be a part of this community. So this idea of of missional work in the Old Testament is this, is that as people come into Israel and come in contact with Israelites, that they will be exposed to God and then go back out and kind of, and and so it's coming coming in and going out and coming in and going out, but we see a shift in that in, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It changes. At the very end of the, of the, of the, gospel, or the gospel of Matthew, he says this. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, and this is Lion Lamb's mission statement, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see the shift that's taken place instead of the Old Testament where the people are coming into Israel and getting exposed to religion. Now all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, go out into the world. Go out into the nations, which is often what we use this, this Great Commission for, for people that serve in, in Morocco for longest time. Go out into the world. But, but I want to broaden our understanding of that, that it's, it's, it's not that we're just going out all into the nations, that we ourselves as Christians, as sons and daughters of God who are holy uh, living temples of the Holy Spirit in us, now we are going out into the world. We're beacons of light that go out to communities, to neighborhoods, to work, to church, to family, to wherever. We are now taking on this mission of going out into the world. And I think this is... This is Amazing in what it does for us in, in, in relation to our application. Because if, if, if God desires to make himself known to the world and he is doing so through commissioning his children um, and his people to spread the gospel, whether it be in your families or in your, in your jobs or wherever, you do have influence. You might be a stay-at-home mom and you have, you know, it's a day where you have, you know, two snotty kids Sonny knows kids running around, they have colds and whatever. 
don't minimize your role. You have influence. You are raising another generation to know Christ. And whether it's, you know, you're working a job, a nine-to-five job that you really don't care for, don't act like you can't influence people, that you aren't important in God's mission, in God's economy. Don't minimize the belief or don't minimize the role in which you can play um, with others. I, I, I just read a book for a class um, that was written by a sociologist at the University of Virginia who's a Christian, and I, I didn't agree with everything that was in the book, but I think he made a great point when he says, he says, don't, just like what I had said, don't act like you can't influence someone. Don't act like you don't have influence. Each and every one of us here in this room has influence on somebody. And we, on a daily basis, choose how we want to use that influence. And so, knowing that we are to be beacons, that we are to fill the earth with the knowledge of God, we, we can do that in our own settings, in our own situations, in our own communities. Again, I don't know what this looks like for everybody here, but, you know, one thing that, that Grace and I want to do is, is, with our families is to pr- promote a quality of life with our, within our families. We want to have great traditions. We want to have a great Christmas. We want to have a great Easter, and we want to make sure that everybody knows that the center of both those holidays is Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. So creating rich moments with your family in which you're either inviting them over for dinner or celebrating holidays together where they know that the Vincent family, the Vincent house is where it's going to be on 4th of July or whatever. I don't know what that looks like or the Langhoffers or, or whoever that's here. So doing it with your family or doing it with, with your work, being a beacon in, in your work, um, just serving people, loving people in your neighborhoods. This could be inviting your neighbors over for dinner. This could be having a block party. I don't know what it looks like, but that you are actually trying to expose people to the knowledge of God. That is what I think we are seeing here. And my last exhortion is this, is that Lion and Lamb Church, that you that are members of Lion and Lamb Church, I would just encourage you that when people that are visitors come inside these doors or care prayer or wherever uh, you are meeting that, that Sunday is that they would be struck at how much you love one another, by how much you live at peace with one another. So that we get this, this theme of Deuteronomy 4 that when people come into these doors and they see the way in which you live life with each other and grow in Christ, that they say, I don't know what they have, but I want that. That's what I want. I exhort you to be a church body that, embodies those values. <clears throat> you know, just kind of wrapping up, you know, I, I've argued that God's mission is this, is that we accomplish, uh, th- that he wants to make himself known into the ends of the earth, and we do so by, being, by living faithfully to the word, be, being a faithful witness to God's word, and remaining a faithful community that reflects his word. Um, I was doing just various Christian, or uh, during searches on in the internet of Christian themes in the Lord of the Rings, and there's a ton of them, um, but the one that I really liked that happened to fit this, this uh, sermon was this, is that the fellowship of the arena, Lord of the Rings, um, there's this constant theme there that, that each one understands their role within the larger mission and that they each understand that they, have, that they had a role and that they're all willing to risk it all for that mission. You know, I mean, that sounds very grandiose and, 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 and great for them, but, you know, what, what if that was true to us? What if, you know, we didn't go out and just become world changers, but we just lived faithfully to God's mission in our life. We understood God's mission in our life. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You don't have to be a Beth Moore or Mark Driscoll. I just, I just exhort you to simply have 
and be, a faith, be faithful to the mission God has given you in every aspect of your life. Uh, with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the way in which you've acted in our lives, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray that we would be faithful to scripture, that we would love the, your word, that we honor your word, and Lord, that we would be examples to those around us that don't know you. Father, open up our hearts and open up doors in which we can share the gospel, in which we can share your love. In Jesus' name, amen.